You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is going to be huge. Welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined again by Sam Gertler. Sam, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. Looking forward to it. We are continuing the player previews. I, I can't imagine we have more of these. I mean, <laughs> we've done so many of these so far, but today we are doing one of our final ones. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. If you guys have listened to the podcast, you know that's my guy. I love Dorian. I think that you know he has a good place in this league. I think that he has a few things he obviously needs to work on, but I think that you know he'll end up being a, a solid NBA player, three and D type guy. Um, talk to me about Dorian Finney-Smith. What are, you know? What's your biggest question for him, and what are you looking at for going into the season? Yeah, you know it's interesting that you say that Dorian is your guy, and you really like him, and you think he has a spot in this league, and I. I somewhat agree with you. Um, you know, he has, it looks like he has all the tools to be that 3 and D guy. He's he's long, he's athletic. Um, he doesn't have exceptional quickness, um, as far as I can tell. Um, but I, I think he uses his body length to his advantage. Um, and last year, it was just, it was a complete surprise how he just came onto the scene. Um, I think it was five, six games into the season, he had barely played. And then Carlisle puts him in against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and he plays some lockdown defense on uh, Giannis, the Greek freak. Um, I'm saying that because partly I don't really remember how to pronounce his last name, so I'll just call him the Greek freak. It's fair. Um, but he he played such good defense. And looking at his box score, he was something around a plus 20 and had scored maybe five points, had a awful shooting line, um, but propelled the Mavs to a win, partly because of his all-around defensive play uh, and his play other than his offense. Um, and that's kind of Dorian Finney-Smith in a nutshell, in my mind. Uh, plays great defense, impacts the game all over, except on offense. And that's where his <laughs> yeah. biggest question uh, arises. And I think it boils down to, can he shoot? He is not a good shooter. And what's funny is I was reading some of his uh, Draft Express pre-draft notes, and they were talking about how he was a good shooter in college. And it was more of his defense that translated to the NBA level that was going to be a question. Uh, And I found that really interesting because, like I mentioned, uh, it does look like he has all the tools. and last season, he was such a good defender, and he just couldn't shoot. And so I was wondering, what could have happened from his last year in college to his first year in the NBA? Um, and I think that's a question that uh, is going to have to be answered next year. Is Was last season offensively a fluke? Um, can he shoot? Because in college, his last two years, uh, he shot 43% from deep and then 37% from deep. Compare that to his first year in the NBA, and he was shooting – what, 30% from deep? Um, that's not good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, that, and so that's going to be something that he's going to have to answer next season, especially if he gets more playing time than he already had. Last season he was playing 20 minutes a game, I believe. Um, and so if Carlisle's going to trust him anymore and allow him to get any more playing time, he's going to have to keep defenses honest, and, and they're going to have to respect him, or else he's just going to cause spacing issues on that end. 
Um, he's going to allow double teams on, on players like Barnes or, or Dennis Smith. Um, so that's really going to be the biggest question going into this season is can he produce on the offensive end as well as he produces on the defensive end? And that's kind of where I'm at this season. Yeah, those are all really, really good questions. Um, as far as his, you know, translating to, you know, from college to the NBA, there's obviously that, you know, the three-point line pull, gets pulled out. That I talked to right. a lot of guys last year about how that's just so different and, you know, trying to get used to it because you get from a rhythm. You know, when you're a guy, especially a four-year, you know, I think he was either a four, a three- or a four-year uh, college player. He was four years. Yeah, yeah, four. And so a guy like that, he has been shooting from the college three for so long. I mean, four years is a long time. If you've done it, you know, done anything consistently for four years, you know that that just becomes like muscle memory. And so when you move out to that, that farther line, that obviously makes a dip. And, you know, I was looking at his shooting splits before we, before we got on and uh, through the different months. In November, he shot 25% from three which is that first month, you know, he didn't play in October, that first month where you come in, he's still trying to figure it out. He only shot 36 times, so not, you know, not a huge sample size there. Um, so that's kind of expected to shoot not as well. He didn't really have a consistent spot in the rotation, like you said. Then that, I, I'll talk about that Bucks game later, because that's the game that will always stick out to me um, mm-hmm. in remembering, you know, his season last year. But then in December and January, he shot 37% and then uh, 38% from three in those next two months. So he, uh, in those next two months, like that is where you want him. If he's shooting 37%, you'll take that. Like that is, oh, yeah. he, he would be an exceptional player at that point. And that's why he was starting to get all that playing time. Cause he was really shooting well from three. You know, he made uh 21 of 57 in December, which is, you know, that's a pretty good volume, pretty good sample size. And then in February it dropped back off to 20%. And so you're like, wait, what happened? Then in March, it was 31%. And then April, it was 12%, like all the way down to 12%. So you're just looking at the progression of his season last year. And at rookies, they sometimes hit this wall where they haven't played. I mean, in college, they play 34 games. And then they come in the NBA, you play in 82, you know. And uh, so I was looking to see, like, okay, there's that possibility, which is why, you know, he maybe shot poorly from three as the season went on. But then... In February and April, when his his percentage was extremely low, twenty percent in February, twelve percent in April, his his percent assisted was also way down. So in February, when he shot twenty percent from three, he only got assisted on sixty seven percent of those shots. And as you know, compared to December, he was getting assisted on eighty three percent of those shots. And then in April, when he was shooting twelve percent from three, he only was assisted on fifty four percent. So this is you know the later in the year he hits this wall, and then he isn't getting you know he's having to try to make some of these shots off the dribble. <laughs> he, you know he's not getting assisted, he's not getting as many catch and shoot opportunities because the team didn't really have you know point guards. They you know the the whole Yogi Ferrell thing started happening, and you know he was pretty good. But then after that, I mean. It was tough because you didn't have you didn't have JJ. You know, Darren was out eventually, and it was just you know tough to try to create any offense. And you didn't have guys that were playmakers. So all those things to me compounded into that thirty percent you know three point number that we all look at and say, well, he's not a good shooter. To me, he's still a good shooter. Now we had that whole thing during summer league where he came out and said that he changed his shot and then he shot you know five of thirty something from three. So I'm not sure about that, but I, the shot still looks fine to me. I think that this is something he'll have to, you know, get over the hump with. And with guys, you know, with with three solid point guards, as well as, you know, Harrison Barnes trying to be a better playmaker, Seth Curry being a good playmaker, Devin Harris being a great playmaker, that, you know, I think that the, that percentage will definitely go up for him. 
I, I can't really remember how many lineups he was deployed with Dirk in. Um, and, you know, it might have been a lot, but I would imagine. Yeah, he, he would again, he would start going. with him a lot. Dirk would start at the five, and Dorian and Barnes would start. I mean, he started a bunch of games last year, so at least from the jump. I, I think, was... yeah, I think I would like to see Dorian play a little bit of small ball four as well, kind of how they're using Harrison Barnes. Um, I think that that would also give him um, some mismatches on the offensive end, allow him to try to create a little bit more. Now, obviously, he's not going to be the best creator. Um, he's a second-year player. Um, but I think that might be an interesting way to use him. Um, and there some, were some other interesting ways I was thinking about using him. Um, like putting him in pick-and-roll situations as the role man, I kind of like that idea. Um, just because that gets Dorian moving, and then it gets him moving toward the basket and giving him um, maybe some two-on-one situations going toward the basket um, and allowing him to use his athleticism um, to try to finish, to try to find the open man. Um, but I think when he just gets put into a, a floating situation out on the perimeter, I think that's where we can kind of get into some trouble with Dorian is just because we remove him completely from the play. Um, and then a lot. And then we're kind of asking him to to get the ball and do something with it. But if we're putting him in, in moving situations on offense, when I say we, if the Mavericks are putting him in moving situations <laughs> on the offense and and allowing him um, to just kind of feel the game and go from there, I don't know. I think that's uh, some interesting interesting ways to to use him and his athleticism. Um, so I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to see him put in those kind of situations. In my mind. Yeah, I haven't looked up any of those numbers of him as a role man. I can't imagine that happened too many times last year. No. But for me, I, I, I kind of disagree. I think that I think you just keep leave him out on the perimeter. I think that the the more spot up shots that he gets, the better he's going to be. And he's a floor spacer. You put him out there, he's going to space the floor. He doesn't make a ton of you know mistakes on offense. You want him just as that roving kind of guy. And eventually, like. We have, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., who's obviously going to be making, you know, a ton of plays, have the ball in his hands a lot. Now we have Harrison Barnes that, you know, is going to be playmaking more. We saw it in the scrimmage the other day where he, you know, as soon as they go in transition, they're going to throw it out to him. It was almost just like automatic that they knew that they need, you know, guards knew that as soon as Harrison Barnes is in the middle, you throw it to Harrison Barnes. So he's making plays. And I think you just need a couple of these guys that will be, will say, all right, I'm going to be around the perimeter and I'm just going to spot up and I'm going to shoot. And I think that's exactly where he should be. The more he does that, I think we'll be more efficient. Um, As far as him being a role man, I think that could be interesting uh, because sometimes he does, you know, it does get stagnant out there. If you're just like sitting around (laughs) waiting around the perimeter um, and just sitting there. The other thing that I I noticed last year was his corner three percentage. He shot 33% from the corner, um, which is not, you know, off. It's not terrible. It's not, it's not awful. It's it's better than his overall three point percentage. So getting more of those opportunities, I think, would be a lot better. And if you look at some of the best like three and D guys in the league, um, like Jay Crowder, he shot fifty fifty percent from three in the corner in Dallas. Then he then he went to Boston for the first year and shot thirty two percent, and then he jumped that all the way up to forty eight percent his second year in Boston. So that I think that's a jump that some guys can make. You know, depending on who's around them. PJ Tucker is a guy that shot thirty six to forty five percent from corner three. Trevor Reza thirty eight to forty seven percent. So some of these guys from from corner three, I think that's definitely a an area that he can you know hang out in more and can you know make those shots because that's players call that like a layup because it's so close. Yeah. Eventually, at that point. Here's my concern with Dorian, and we're kind of jumping ahead, but this might be able to to segue into. We might just start with the worst case scenario. Sure. But I'm just afraid 
of Dorian Finney-Smith turning into Justin Anderson 2.0 in the Dallas offense. And it never seemed like Anderson found his role, never got got comfortable. Um, he just kind of seemed lost out there. And so that's my only concern with, with Finney-Smith is if he just never finds his footing, never finds traction, um, is, asked there to, is asked to only go out there and, and play defense, um, and then just kind of gets the ball in situations where he's not comfortable. And obviously getting the ball with a, a catch-and-shoot three, um, an NBA player should be able to do that. Um, yeah. That shouldn't be a problem. Um, but that's just kind of where my, my fears wander toward, is him turning into uh, an, an aimless type of player on the offensive end um, and never finding a role, never getting comfortable. Um, and, and that seemed to be what happened with Justin Anderson last year. Um, had tons of talent. Um on both ends of the floor, uh, just never quite found his footing. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where my um, concerns with Dorian lie. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is nine ninety-nine, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only twelve ninety-nine. Buy one get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair concern. I think the difference between Dorian and Justin is that there's a lot, and we've, we've talked about them on this podcast, is that Justin Anderson is a guy that would take a lot more risks. He was he tried to you know drive it to the basket. He wanted to get those huge dunks. He wanted to you know do that kind of stuff. He would spot up and shoot a lot, but you know he would also you know try to go to the basket. Dorian knows what he is. I think he he just really understands what he is on the offensive end, and I think his he under I think he understands his role, and I think I think his role is good. You know as the as the three and D guy on the team. And you know, in certain lineups, he's you know sitting out on the perimeter. He knows what you know. He knows what he is. Sometimes he's gonna he get, he'll get involved in rebound situations, but sticking out on the perimeter, I think is gonna be fine for him. I don't think that he's a Justin Anderson in the sense that he uh, you know wants wants to or needs to do more in order to get into the flow of the game. Because uh, for some re- for for Justin, I felt like he was one of those guys that he needed to be involved in the offensive end in order to play hard on defense. You know, there's just a lot of guys like that, and I don't think Dorian's that kind of guy. And as long as he's doing that, that's why, that's why Rick Carlisle chose him over Justin Anderson. You know, <laughs> basically throughout the year because he, you know, eventually traded Justin Anderson for uh yeah. For that's a good point. So, yeah. So worst case scenario for for Dorian now that we're here is that the shooting just doesn't you know translate the the change in his shot that he made, you know, just becomes worse. He shoots a lot like he shot the, a couple of those months, you know, 25, 20, 20% from three. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario where his defense would fall off. Um, I, I, I can't either. Uh, like I mentioned, he has all the tools. He has a seven foot wingspan. Yeah. Um, and like I said, he's not exceptionally quick, but you can mitigate a lot of that with a seven foot wingspan. Um, and so all the tools are there. He's a hard worker. He's, uh, unselfish player, which translates to doing the dirty work on that end. Um, yeah, it's all there for him to take the next step as a defender. So that's not really my concern at all either. Another concern of mine maybe is that his place in the rotation, uh, you're talking about him maybe not finding his place like on the floor. And I think the a bigger issue might be wh- like, where is he going to be in the rotation? Because you're playing, 
you know, I think playing him at four, like you said, is is interesting, and you, you kind of want to do that, and you want Harrison Barnes to also be at the four, but then eventually, they're, they're, I mean, this team has so many fours and so many fives that you're just playing Dorian at three, which is which is fine, uh, but you're also playing Wes Matthews at three. You know, does he still get the, that 20 minutes per game, or do they try a bunch of three-guard lineups? Because that's what they're talking about now, trying to do a bunch of three-guard lineups, and I just don't want him to get lost in the rotation where he's, you know, or like Wes and... Uh, Seth are playing a ton, a ton, a ton of minutes at, you know, at two and three. And then Dorian only finds like 12 minutes off the bench or something like that, which yeah. this team is really bereft of, of threes. So it's kind of hard to imagine that, but I just feel like maybe in a rotation where he's not playing with guys that can assist him. Um, I don't know. That's yeah. just it's one concern. Yeah. And I think that he, I don't know. I think that he really has to step up at that backup three position. Uh, Cause we were talking about Wes, when we did the West uh, player preview pod um, where he feels out of position at the three and he's much more natural too. And that's where he's much more effective. So I think that's important for Finney Smith for players all around him, for him to be able to step up um, and solidify that backup three role um, to allow other players to play in their position um, and allow Barnes to play the four a little bit more. Cause that's where we see Barnes the most effective is, is playing a small ball four. Um, so, yeah, Finney Smith really does. He needs to play a natural three position, um, the occasional four. Uh, but I think the, the small four position is his true and best position. Yeah, definitely. And I think what I was trying to say, and I could not get out, was that he doesn't necessarily lose himself in the rotation, but that Carlisle doesn't see, doesn't deem him you know worthy enough to play in the rotation. And so then it becomes, well, now this team doesn't have any threes <laughs> because, because you know they don't want to play him. His play just diminishes so much that you can't keep him out there and then all of a sudden the team is playing almost exclusively three guard lineups and that would just be a bad scenario for everybody right yeah just be bad best case scenario for him we see those three-point numbers that i was talking about in december and january that 37 38 percent from three the defense stays and gets better you know he becomes a guy that is threatening to be in the starting lineup because uh, you know, certain matchups and because there are just so many wings in the West. Holy cow. This, this, <laughs> this league is insane, man. We added Jimmy Butler, Paul George, you know, Carmelo. On the, I mean, when the, when the Mavs play the Thunder, I think you have to start Dorian Finney-Smith because who are you going to play on both, you know, Paul George, Melo, and then also Westbrook? Are you going to play, are you just going to try to play Dennis on Westbrook? And then, you, you know, like, <laughs> Gosh, yeah. and then you go Matthews on who? Paul George, and then you go Harrison Barnes on on Mello. I mean, that, that's just really tough. And I feel like if you throw Dorian out there, at least you have another credible wing defender. I mean, with length, yeah, yeah they're that, they're not a- going to play the Thunder too well. But it's just something to think about. I think there are certain scenarios where Carlisle will start Dorian next year. Yeah, I agree, and and that's a good point. Just thinking about the the wings and the the perimeter. Um, firepower that the West has now um, yeah. that's even more so important for, for Finney Smith to just step up and and take advantage of the playing time that's available to him at this point I mean really capitalize on that so yeah I think best case scenario for Finney Smith this season is take that next step as a defender yeah. um, which I think most people will agree will happen a lot of I feel like a lot of defense in the NBA is just getting experience um, getting comfortable with rotations, 
Um, another year in the MAPS system. I think all of that will just translate to, to another year of, of improved defense for Finney Smith. Um, and then, yeah, just, I don't know, um, improving as an offensive player, which is easier said than done. But, yeah, increasing those shooting percentages, um, kind of like what you're saying, finding a, a niche, um, a solid role for him on offense, playing with playmakers, that should all translate to, to better offensive numbers. Uh, but then with Finney Smith, I think the important thing is for him to, to move without the ball as well um, yeah. and cutting situations, becoming a, a slasher, crashing offensive boards. Those are all things that he can definitely take advantage of, especially for a, a high-energy guy like Finney Smith. Um, those are those are areas where he can take advantage and kind of capitalize on that and try to make his mark on the offensive end without necessarily having the ball. Those are kind of the things I see Finney Smith doing um, to become a better offensive player, to become a more efficient offensive player. Um, so those those are things to, to look out for next season, see if he takes advantage of those opportunities as well. Yeah, I'm working on a piece about Harrison Barnes from the interview that we did on Locked On where he said that he, you know, one big thing that he wants to improve on his game is rebounding. And he thinks that that will affect all the other aspects of his game and sort of help him in that way. And uh, I think that'll, you know, I hope that that really rubs off on Dorian, like he said. I think if he can be a guy that, you know, stands out on the perimeter on offense and then crashes the boards and uh, maybe get some offensive rebounds, maybe he's just around the ball during transition, he can get his hands in there. You know, as long as he's around the ball during transition and then, you know, trying to get a rebound. I think that that is a good scenario for him. And I think that's something I would like to see him improve on as well. So, all right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the Dallas wings, but they're not the best rebounders. I mean, Finney Smith average, (laughs) the Dallas wings average. You're talking about Skylar Diggins and, and (laughs) glory Johnson. Yeah. 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 Let's (laughs) let's talk about them for a little bit. The Dallas Mavericks. They don't rebound well either, to be perfectly honest. Glory Johnson's really good. Everybody else is kind of struggling on that team. Unfortunately, being in the Oklahoma City area, uh, I don't pick up on those Dallas Wings games. You didn't follow them from the Tulsa, from the Tulsa days? No, I did not, unfortunately. <laughs> they were the Tulsa uh, Shock, and then they moved to Dallas last year and became the Wings. Anyway, that's the WNBA team for anybody else, for, especially for those people in Australia that are like, oh my gosh, what are they talking about right now? The Dallas Wings are the... the Dallas WNBA team. Anyway, continue. We're going to have a, a Dallas Wings preview pod next week, I think. So. Shout out shout out to Skylar Diggins, who was named uh, first team all WNBA this week. Shout out to uh, Alicia Gray, rookie of the year in the WNBA. His team's going somewhere. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith averaged about three rebounds a game last season. Yeah. Harrison Barnes, uh, I don't know, remember exactly what he was like at. Five, five. five or something, yeah. Um, that's not great. Especially for it, especially for Finney Smith, a six-eight forward with a seven-foot wingspan, um, that's not ideal. So I think he, along with Barnes, those two players, um, if they can improve their rebounding, um, that'll just open up the whole team a little bit more. Especially on the offense or offensive end, going on fast breaks, things like that, um, they're going to have to step up there. And so. Um, I think that's another area of improvement that Finney Smith definitely needs to explore, and, and we need to see that from him this season. But I guess that's kind of a, a side point. Yeah, for now. that that percentage is not of rebounds is not terrible for playing 20 minutes a game. But yeah, it's definitely something we both want to see him improve on. I hope that that rubs off from Harrison. So, Sam, thanks so much for joining us on Locked On. We only have a few more of these left. 
Uh, but hopefully we'll hear from Sam throughout the season as we continue with Lockdown Mavs. We've got a lot of time to fill. And season starting. Game. We're recording this on a Saturday. Preseason games start tonight. It's insane. Oh, we're about to get real busy. <laughs> it's about to be awesome. I'm so excited for this season to start. I'm already getting my uh, my charts ready for how many games I'm going to watch for which teams and stuff. So I feel super nerdy right now. I'm excited. <laughs> getting ready. Getting ready for myself to watch a ton of television. Well, thanks for having me on, Nick. It's a pleasure. Um, looking forward to this season as well. All right, go check out the article from Sam on Mavs Moneyball. Continue to check all the Mavs Moneyball stuff. Really good stuff this week from everybody. Uh, really great team. I'm glad to be a part of it. So, All right, Sam, thanks so much, and peace out, and boom. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.